Good morning, Grinders. Welcome to the DFS pregame show here on Roto Grinders. I'm Jordan Cooper, aka Blender Red. Blender HD, if you want to follow me on Twitter. And it's Tuesday, Tuesday, July 5th. Happy uh, belated Independence Day. Finally, the fireworks are done. They're finally done. I'm, I'm 43 years old. I'm done with the fireworks. When I was younger, right? You love, oh, it's fireworks. Oh, but of course, in New York City, where I grew up, fireworks were illegal. So uh, people still set them off, but uh, te technically, you're not supposed to. But out here, out here in Louisville now, that, that fireworks, two in the morning, people setting them off last night. My dog's going nuts, right? I want to go to sleep, whatever. I don't care about the fireworks anymore, but finally, they're done. They're done, but we had baseball yesterday. We have baseball today. We have baseball for the foreseeable future. I see you guys in the YouTube chat. Give me those thumbs ups on your way in the door. Helps us out. Give me those thummy thumbs. Give me one up. Give me two up. Give me three up. Give me any. Give me all of them. Uh, hit the subscribe button if you're new here. Hit the notification bell to know when we go live. It's a 12-game slate tonight, so they'll be handling everything. Grinders live. Crunch time. We got some weather situations possible. So tune in later for that. Good morning, Doug Montgomery here just before Suki Singh. Daniel Hutchings here in the chat. Yesterday, uh, man managed to uh, not not lose a lot of money, right? Actually made a little on DraftKings and and lost a little on on FanDuel because FanDuel my main lineup had Sean Manaya and he got he got killed. He had seven points on FanDuel, so that's that's gonna hurt you with on a one pitcher site and he. Even in the contest I was playing, he was only like 30, 35% owned. So uh, so that uh, even Nimmo's home run, I I I some good good batters in the lineup, but didn't get there. But on DraftKings, I managed to avoid enough pivoting with my, you know, playing triple ups, three mans, five mans, uh, and avoiding kind of like a lot of duplicated combos. Uh ended up working out for me with uh with not I didn't have if you if you take a look here, it's like I I Urias actually came in lower owned than than Manoa, and Manoa got hurt. I mean, he got nine points, not as bad as Manaya, but we see like 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 more popular style lineups were Manoa, Manaya, Jeffers. Like you have to pay down at multiple spots in order to get these combinations to basically get Pete Alonso at first at fifty five hundred, and uh, and Jose Ramirez at five thousand, and still get two nine K pitchers. You had to punt at a couple of spots. You basically had to punt at two outfield spots and a catcher spot. So I just, how do I avoid that 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 uh, that combination? So like I didn't play bets. Bets was in this in this specific triple up. Seventy seven percent owned bets at forty three hundred. Fifty eight percent owned Gavin Sheets at twenty two hundred. Jeffers was forty one percent at twenty four hundred. Right, we go to other combos. Right, here's Urias. But with Polanco here, but still, you got Sheets, you got Betts, you got Tim Anderson, Jose Ramirez, Pete Alonso, Ryan Jeffers, Sean Manaya. Like, like I can understand some changes at second, the you know the third outfield spot, even though Robert was thirty two percent owned. But like, like uh, BK Reader and John Iver had the same exact lineup. If we take a look here, some other players, right? Not much different. Moncada, Kepler. I mean, Kepler was low-owned over here. But, like, a lot of 2v2s. Jeffers, Alonzo, Anderson, Betts, Manaya, that kind of combination. Like, we go up to get loose over here. A little bit flippy. A little bit flippy. Still have Sheets. Still have Anderson. Still have Ramirez. 
of Manoa up here, pay up for Will Smith instead of Jeffries and play Abreu. And that's exactly what I did. So like my lineup, flipping it a bunch, <coughs> play Urias instead of Manoa, uh, play uh, Owen Miller instead of any of those second basemen, play Abreu over uh, Alonzo, play Will Smith, pay up at, at catcher, and then pay down, still play Riley Green, but play Fran Reyes, pay up at shortstop instead of Tim Anderson, play Trey Turner. I mean, it's not like it scored a lot, but Abreu's home run and the fact that Urias was still less than 50% owned. Like in a triple up scenario, like I pass by a lot of people. Right? So how do you not play bets at 4,300 with the Dodgers with a, with a five run total? Well, because those combos, if you, ha- if you have bets in your lineup, and you have Ramirez in your lineup, and you have Alonzo in your lineup. I mean, you probably have Jeffers in your lineup. You probably have, I mean, a lot of the same combos. So in these types of contests, like we could take a look at, let's see, what, who, who are some other BRK Nets? Right, look, very similar combos. I mean, look at these combos. With these combos, you know, yeah, Betts has to have a great game, but I mean, in a triple up scenario, there's just so many duplicated combos that it's more profitable long term to be, you know, three points lower projected, three and a half points lower projected, and not be on the same exact combos. Doesn't mean I I'm an eight V eight, right? I still I still had right, I still ended up with twenty five percent rest Riley Green and Robert at thirty two, right, and Will Smith and Jose Ramirez I didn't get rid of. I still have Manai in my lineup, but still for, compared to the combos, I had one, two, three, four, five, like four or five that were probably not going to be together with each other. So something like Abreu hitting a home run, I mean, just elevates you over like all of these lineups all at once. So in a double up scenario, it doesn't help you that much. The 50-50 scenario and a head-to-head scenario. But in a contest where you're getting paid triple, where you're getting paid 5X and can double up, it actually helps you a lot more. I mean, that's the whole, the, the whole concept of leverage is what you would do in GPPs. Other than the fact that you don't care as much about correlation in these types of contests, because the difference between sixth and first is the same amount of money. Like this Jay Reed guy, right? Like Jay Reed, let, let's take, I mean, this lineup scored 143 points in a triple up. It scored, what, almost 60 points higher than the next lineup. But I I, I made the same amount of money as he did in this in this contest. Right. There's no need. There's no need for that. Right. Ends up playing, you know, a bunch of Mets together. But Taiwan Walker at 6% on. So that helps not having Manaya or Manoa. But it gets you the same amount of money. So what do I care? I don't care. Don't care whatsoever. But that was yesterday. But just showing you the concepts of, you know, of what exactly I'm doing. Because people have asked me and they think I'm playing. You know, oh, this is what you do in quote cash games. It's no, I'm exploiting of other players' lineup combinations, which means the most important thing you need to know their lineup combinations. If you can't guess their lineup combinations, how are you going to be different? Well, I'm just going to X out bets and then run it. Okay, well that's a that that's a start. You can do that. It's like, well, do pe- people that have Jeffers, what do they have in their lineup? They probably have Alonzo. They probably have Betts. They probably have Tim Anderson. They probably have Ramirez. So try not to play those guys together. 
Doesn't mean you, you have to have none of them. It just turned out that uh, Joe Ram at third base, you gave up the most amount of projection by not having him in the lineup in comparison to the other players. So when I'm putting together my lineup, I'm going, okay, I'm, I'm pretty, like when I first started, this was pretty much my lineup. Maybe, maybe India over Polanco, possibly. But this is what my lineup looked like. If I was going to play purely a head-to-head lineup, this is probably what my lineup would have looked like. And then you take out one. You take out Alonzo. And you go, okay, what would the lineup, now what would the lineup look like? And how many points of projection are you giving up? Uh, if I get rid of Jeffers, what does the lineup look like? If I get singularly, if I get rid of Betts, what does my lineup look like? And seeing what the projection difference is. And when I took out Jeffers, singularly. When I took out Anderson, singularly. When I took out Betts or Sheets, singularly. The projection didn't drop more than a point. But Joe Ram, it did. Based on, obviously, not that great going-ons at, uh, projected going-ons at third base. So the first person that I'm like, okay, I guess I'm keeping Joe Ram. And if I'm keeping Joe Ram, I don't want to have combinations that also include Joe Ram in it. So once I get rid of bets, it's like, okay, I'm dropping about 0.6 points in projection. Okay, that's fine. Then I get, then since I'm not playing bets and I don't, let's say I drop Alonzo, well, I'm giving up another three quarters of a point. But now that I drop Alonzo, I'm not playing Jeffers anymore. Will Smith ends up in my lineup. Trey Turner ends up in my lineup. I end up with Fran Reyes instead of Gavin Sheets because he's $1,000 more. Then I look and it's like, well, I don't, I already don't have Sheets. I already don't have bets. I don't, I have Turner over Anderson. I have Will Smith over Jeffers. And what ends up happening is that naturally I get to this type of lineup. With like Owen Miller at second base. So that's the type of stuff that I'm doing for triple ups, three mans, five mans, pentuple ups, small 10 and 20 man kind of GPP-ish type of things that pay the top three to five, something like that. But for today's slate, I, I, wanted, to, I wanted to highlight again. Because I get this, I get, I, during baseball season, I get this question. I've answered, I've answered this a hundred times. Okay, so if, if you can go back, you can go back in the archive and, and probably watch like every other show and see me answer the same question. But I still get this, I, I don't, I, I don't understand how I do. I really don't. From people that watch the show, the people that that get the theory of daily fantasy sports course at theoryofdfs.com, why I'm still answering the same question. And especially in baseball, right? Because it applies more in baseball than anything else. I still get questions. Do you prefer, like on FanDuel, 4-4 or 4-3? When do I have, is 4-2 fine? Or on DraftKings, do you do 5-3 or do you do 5-3 and one-offs? As if these questions, like, these are the wrong questions to be asking. Like once you have, once you have asked that question, you have, you have completely bypassed fundamental concepts of DFS. Like once you have asked that question, once you've asked that question, you, you, you've basically stated, I'm sorry, I don't understand how DFS works. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to show, I'm going to go slowly and I'm going to show the extreme. Once you show the extreme, you see that there are no answers that are yes. There are no answers that are no. And there are no answers that are exact numbers. 
It's going to be, it depends. It's going to be, it's somewhere in the middle. Okay? So the question is, do you prefer playing a 4-4 or 4-3 lineup? The correct answer is, I prefer to play plus EV lineups, no matter how they're constructed. Okay? There are plus EV lineups that are all 8-1-offs. There are. Good luck finding them, but there are. You simulated it out. There are plus EV lineups that are 2-2-1-1-1 two, two, one, one, one messes. There are. Hard to find them. Good luck. There are 4-4 four, four lineups that are awful that you'd rather have 8-1-offs. That have, are, are so negative EV that you might as well try to pick 8-1-offs uh, or 9-1-offs or whatever. Well, how is that possible? I thought you're supposed you're supposed to correlate in baseball. You're not supposed to do anything. There are no rules. Correlation adds variance to your lineup. That's all it does. In GPP's variance is good, right? How much variance does correlation add to your lineup? Do you know that? If I put three players from the same team, does it raise the ceiling projection of my lineup by 17 million points? No, obviously not 17 million. Does it raise it by by uh, this much? Very little. Point oh 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 one. Probably not. Also, probably somewhere in between. Right. So, how much is correlation worth in comparison to raw projection? In comparison to ownership, which is leverage. Now we get back to the three levers of DFS: projection, correlation, and leverage. Plus EV lineups have the balance of the three properly for the contest that you're in. So for the payout structure, for whatever it is. So in a double up, probably you're prioritizing projection because adding variance to your lineup, coming in first by 17 points doesn't do anything. Getting paid the same amount. So you're optimizing for a 55th percentile outcome. GPPs, you're optimizing for a hundredth percentile. You want you want the top, if possible. So you want to add variance to your lineups. So the fact that correlation adds variance to your lineups is a good thing. But how much is that worth versus raw projection? So let's let's use the extreme example. I'm going to go to FanDuel. I'm going to build a four-four lineup. I'm going to do it by hand. That's the only way I'll be able to do it this way. Okay. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to plug in Kyle Hendricks. Okay, and this is the sandal, right? So I'm going to plug in Kyle Hendricks at pitcher. Then I'm going to build a 4-4. Let's take a look. Let's take a look at these teams. Casey, who's high? I'll just go, I'll just go to the hitter section and sort by negative point per dollar value. Right, okay. So I'm going to play Michael, overpriced Michael Harris. On the Atlanta, but I don't know if, uh, where where are the other Atlanta players. Oh, Colorado. Okay, Colorado seems overpriced. Okay, there we go. So Charlie Blackman, Brendan Rodgers, Connor Joe, and CJ Crone. So I'm gonna have to get rid of what Connor Joe's at outfield. So let's put Crone in to fit him in, and Connor Joe in the outfield. Okay, so we need a third baseman, a shortstop. That's to be cheap, I guess. 
Let's go to, uh, let's see, Pittsburgh with a horrible total. Let's see what, what, what people are on their, their roster. Let's go to Pittsburgh. Let's put in uh, to, 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 to compete to Mark, Marcana at third base. O'Neill Cruz. Need an outfielder for less than 2,400. Gamel is in the projected lineup, right? Okay, there's Gamel. And to another $2,400 player. And Michael Perez. Okay, catcher. Right? Okay. So this is a 4-4 lineup. Okay? It projects for 91.45. So we're going to save that. Okay, we're going to save that lineup. Now I'm going to undo all of this. And now I'm just going to run the highest projected 4-3 line, right? 100%. Let's just run 20, right? I'm just yeah, I could just stop it now, okay? So here, here's a, here's a lineup with Luis Garcia, Derek Hall, with the Phillies, Yankees, and Wilmer Flores one off. I'm going to save that lineup. Okay, let's take a look at the two lineups, okay? Here's a 4-3-1 lineup with the Phillies, the Yankees, and a one-off of Wilmer Flores with Luis Garcia. We don't even care about ownership. Don't even worry about it now. This projects for 135.49 as a, as a mean, a median, okay? It's a 4-3-1. This lineup, project, this lineup underneath it with Kyle Hendricks, Rockies, and Pittsburgh Pirates, 4-4, projects for 91.45. Okay, so the difference in projection is uh, about forty-five points, which is which is a lot. Right, let me just tell you, it's a lot. Uh, which lineup do you think is uh, we're not even considering ownership at this point? Let's just say that the, both these lineups are owned low enough that you could still win first place. That you still you have enough leverage. You're unique enough. You would you're fine. For the size of the contest that you're in. Okay. One lineup projects for 45 points higher than the other. But this lineup is a 4-4. This lineup has more correlation. Does the one extra batter of correlation in this lineup. Make up for 45 points in projection. Let me just. Uh, spoiler alert. It doesn't. How much does one. How much does a, an extra batter versus a one-off. Matter in the course of your lineup. Probably on average, less than a point. Probably on average. So obviously, if you have four players in your lineup, maybe you're adding one extra point to your ceiling range. Maybe. Okay? Obviously, on FanDuel, maybe a little bit more than DraftKings because their scoring system is a little bit more beneficial for runs and RBIs. So which lineup is better? The 4-3 lineup. Dude, I can make lineups that are 3-3 that are messy, that are going to be 40 points higher projected than this 4-4 lineup. This 4-4 lineup probably sucks. That it doesn't win often. And I just, it's just the team totals and everything. Yeah, sure. They're correlated. Yes, absolutely. You don't have to, oh, but this is all, look how low owned this is. 
You don't have to be this. You, if you win with this lineup, you're winning by 80 points. Who knows? I mean, like, it's ridiculous. You don't need to be this low and to be this low projected. But this is a 4-4 lineup. So which do you prefer? Do you prefer the 4-4 lineup or the 4-3 lineup? Well, in this scenario, I prefer the 4-3-1 lineup. In this scenario, this 4-4 lineup is probably negative EV. And this 4-3-1 lineup, much, much higher expected value than at least this other lineup. So am I choosing between 4-4 and 4th? No, I'm choosing between plus EV lineups. So saying that, oh, do you prefer 4-4 or 4-3? No, I prefer plus EV lineup. Some lineups will be plus, some lineups will be 4-3, some lineups will be 4-4, some lineups will be 3-3, some lineups will be 3-2-1, some lineups will be 4-2-1-1. It depends on the scenario. This is the extreme example. So it's somewhere in between. Where if just simply building 4-4 lineups, you're probably missing out on a ton of plus EV lineups that you could be making. Because you're a slave to, oh, it has to be 4-4. No, it doesn't have to be. Then let's take this, this, this lineup up here as an example in and of itself. Okay, so let's let's build let's build a 4-4 lineup now. And I'll show you more of the nuanced scenarios. I'm using the extreme first. So let's build four fours. This will take a minute. Okay, there, let's stop it. Okay, so here's here's a four-four lineup. Guardians and Phillies. Okay. At one thirty-eight point one, let's let's scroll even further down. Let's go. Let's go to the lowest lineup that we that we created at least. One twenty-nine point eight eight. Okay. So here we go. Mitch White, JT Romuto. Let's let's get rid of. Let's let's make it so there's only one lineup up here. Let let's use this for an example. Okay, here's a good one. Okay, his Red Sox Yankees. Here's a 4-4. Projects at 132.91. Okay, this is this is probably fine. Now let's say instead of playing, because we're leaving 700 on the table. So let's say instead of playing J.D. Martinez, let's take a look. What's J.D. Martinez's projection? 13, okay, that's high actually. Oh, no, okay, no, we'll do it. Let, let's take out... Uh, J.D. Martinez and then put in Kyle Schwarber instead. Okay, so take a look at this lineup. 132.9144. J.D. Martinez, we put Kyle Schwarber in here. The projection goes up by like three points. 135.72. But now it's not a 4-4 lineup. Now it's a 4-3-1. Okay, so is J.D. Martinez having him in this lineup, and we're not thinking about ownership, J.D. Martinez, if putting him in this lineup to complete, to have the fourth Boston Red Sox batter in there, is that worth three points? 
I take out Schwarber and put in J.D. Martinez, projection goes down about three points. Is the correlation worth three points? That's what you have to decide. Which lineup, if you can only play one lineup, or only playing one lineup, or playing in a large field, whatever, whatever contest. You had to decide. It's like, it's, it's going to be either this lineup, or you take out J.D. Martinez and you put in Kyle Schwarber. So what should you be thinking? What is your thought process? What you should be asking yourself is, is having that correlation in there, the one extra Boston Red Sox batter, worth not playing the highest projected one-off in that spot instead? How much projection difference is there? Let's say Kyle Schwarber was only projected for 0.2 higher than J.D. Martinez. And he was the highest, he was the highest projected guy that you could put in there. Would you rather play J.D. Martinez or Kyle Schwarber? Well, in that case, I'd probably play J.D. Martinez. Getting an extra 0.2 in projection, the correlation is probably worth more than that. So I'll keep J.D. Martinez. Now, let's say Kyle Schwarber was projected for 70 points higher. I'm using the extreme example. Is the correlation worth 70 points? No. So why am I playing a 4-4? When I could, a better, a higher expected value lineup is to replace J.D. Martinez with Kyle Schwarber. Now, is three points worth the correlation? Well, you have, that's the question you have to answer. I don't think the correlation is worth it for three points and median projection. Do I know for sure? No, because now we're getting closer to the line. Let's say the difference in projection was 1.27 points. Is the correlation worth that? I don't, I don't know. You're close. You're getting close to the point in which it may not matter which one you do. Maybe you do, you do, I would probably lean more on the side of keep the correlation if it's close. But these are the things that you're, you're thinking about on constructing a lineup. I'm not just simply building four, four lineups and who cares if they're, if they're 50 points lower projected. And they leave 7,000 of salary on the table for no reason. And they're playing, and point per dollar, they're playing the worst point per dollar pitcher. I mean, like, that's a, that's a bad 4-4 lineup. Yeah, let's say we take out J.D. Martinez and we put in uh, Kyle Schwarber in here. Okay. Okay, now we got that. So now it's a 4-3-1. Spent 34-8. Now we take a look at this and go, maybe we can prove this even more. We still have a Yankee stack in here. Okay, that's fine. Let's say, can we replace uh, Christian Arroyo with anyone in the utility spot? Vogelback, who who projects? Uh, Christian Arroyo projects for what? Eight, looks like 8.44. Okay. Do we have uh, anyone that we could fit in that's way more than 8.44? 10.95, that's Vogelback. Oh, we got it. Oh, Fran Reyes, 13. Okay, we got th- we got a 13 in here. Okay, so if I replace Arroyo, Arroyo projects for 8.44. Fran Mill Reyes, meaning projection, is like five points higher. Is the correlation worth five points in this lineup? for To, to make sure to get Christian Arroyo in there, who probably doesn't really have much of a ceiling. Probably not. Probably not worth five points. 
So where's where's uh where's where's good old Fran Miller? So I put Fran Miller in instead of Arroyo. This lineup now goes up to 140 point projection. It's no longer a 4-3-1. It is now a 4-2-1-1. But I I posit, not factoring in ownership, that this lineup has a higher expected value. Even though it's a 4-2-1-1. But I don't build 4-2-1-1s. Yeah, but this is probably better than some of the 4-3-1 lineups that you build. Not all of them, but some of them. And this is what you're going through. This is this this and if you saw this lineup win, you go, oh, they didn't even play a 4-2-1-1. What a fish. No, this lineup is better than yours. And then a 4-2-1-1 with the Colorado Rockies and Kyle Hendricks is probably horrible. You're not going by construction. You're going by the what the lineup looks like. Individual lineups. So there are certain 4-2-1-1s that are better than 4-4s. There's certain three. Let's 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 take a look. Oh, well, let's. Uh, who, who else do we have projected here? Let's say we take out uh, Glaber. Is there anyone? I don't know if there's anyone underneath Glaber. Glaber projects for eleven point six. I don't know if we're gonna find anyone. Oh, Max Muncy is a little bit. All right. Let's say we put Max Muncy in. And so Javier Baez, eleven point eight two. Max Muncy is twelve point oh four. Okay. So Glaber Torres is 11.6. Max Muncy is 12.04. So we put him in there instead. We raised our projection by like a half a point. But now we have a 3-2-1-1. Yeah, but Glaber's like for a difference of a half a point, I'd rather, I'd rather maintain my correlation with the with the Yankees. Max Muncy, yes, he projects slightly better. But is it enough so that I'd rather, I think the correlation is worth a half a point of projection. So I'm going to put, I'm going to put uh, Torres back in. Then I take a look at uh, Stan at 14 point whatever. Right. Oh, we got Byron Buxton here at 15.11. Right. Stanton is 14.66. And Buxton is a half at a half a point higher. Okay. This lineup has a slightly higher projection. But is that half a point worth busting, not getting the correlation as much with your Yankees? Probably not. So I stand, stands fine here. It's worth those levers. Remember the levers. The projection lever is coming down a little, but my correlation lever is going up. As long as that's happening, that's fine. If If Byron Buxton projected for 22 points and he was six points higher projected, then I'd say make it a 3-2-1-1 lineup instead. Then the correlation isn't worth it. And he'd be sitting there with a 3-2-1-1-1 lineup and go, I thought these were bad lineups. No, that that specific 3-2-1-1 lineup is probably higher expected value than a lot of the 4-4 lineups that you're building. That one. There are plenty of 3-2-1-1-1 lineups that are horrible. This is what happens when you go through it of the importance of understanding concepts, not looking at an answer key and trying to recreate stuff. Oh, the rule is like, there's a rule. There are no rules. There are only probabilities. 
So the next thing to factor in all this is the ownership also. So now you have to factor a third variable. Yeah, Kyle Schwarber is three points higher projected, but he's also three times as higher owned than the other guy. So now you have to consider, is the correlation worth it? Is the ownership worth it at the same time? And there's going to be some combination of that. So maybe it's like, I don't mind taking three points less projection to be more correlated as well as be have a player that's three times less owned. That's fine. But if you tell me Kyle Schwarber is the, the same ownership as J.D. Martinez, then you'd, why not take the three? Take the extra three points in projection and screw the correlation. Let's say Kyle Schwarber and J.D. Martinez were projected for about the same. About the same, just like the example before. But J.D. Martinez was actually higher owned by 10 percentage points. And let's say they were projected the same. So it's like, well, well, if I keep J.D. Martinez, that keeps my correlation intact with my Red Sox. But it's also he's also 10% higher owned. So should I be playing Kyle Schwarber instead because he's lower owned? Even though, is the 10% less, own, less ownership worth removing the correlation? It's the same thing you would do with projection. Is so-and-so who's projected one point slower, but twice as less owned, worth it? Is that one point worth that lower ownership? And that's what you're doing when it comes to leverage. So you're doing the same thing when it comes to correlation. Those three levers work in tandem with one another. So if you're coming if you're coming with questions of, do you prefer to play a 4-4 and a 4-3? There's no answer to those questions. You're asking the wrong questions. The question should be, is this lineup as a full lineup specific lineup worth playing over this other specific lineup. This lineup has this construction. This other lineup has a different construction. What is the projection? What is the correlation? And what is the leverage of each lineup? And what is the balance of them? Correlation is one of the levers. So you could show me a lineup. You could show me a lineup that's three, two. I could build. Let's let <coughs> let's build. Let's go here. Let's build a, a three a three two lineup. Okay, let's stop it here. Right. So here's a three two lineup. Garcia with Hoskins. So it's three Phillies, Hoskins, Schwarber, Castellanos with Judge and Donaldson, and then you got one offs of uh, Muncie, Rosario, and Reyes. But he's looking at another two in there also. <coughs> so this is a three two two one. Most people would look at this and go, this is a messy, this isn't a 4-4, this isn't a 4-3, this is against the rules. Well, if this lineup is low-owned enough, does the, the leverage lever come up enough to make to make up for the, le- the lesser correlation between the players? And then... All those levers have to be adjusted for the slate size as well and the format of the co- format of everything. Because there's a much big difference between a three-game slate and a 12-game slate. Probably in a 12-game slate, you're more likely to correlate your players. More likely. Obviously, in a three-game slate, it's hard not to. It's easy, but it's actually easy to make a lineup that's 3-2-2-2 because you only got six teams to choose from. So a lot of lineups will look like that. 
But in a large con, and then 12 game slates, there'll be less lineups that look like this. And you may end up playing a 4 4 lineup that actually is duplicated on a 12 game slate. It's the only way to play two certain teams together and one of like the two or three viable, you know, more and more usable pitchers. They're going to come up with the same. It's going to look the same based on positional scarcity and everything. So is this lineup worth playing? Now, let's take this lineup now. Okay. We're going to take that lineup, remove this one. And now you have a choice. We'll go back to our original example. The column with the Rockies Pirates garbage lineup 4-4 with Hendricks. That projects for, what is this? 50, 52 points lower in projection. If we take out ownership, which lineup would you rather play? I would, I would, I would, I would surmise that this lineup that projects for 52 points higher is plus EV is a higher expected value than this lineup below it. Even though this lineup is a three, two, two. And this lineup is a four, four. But what happens if this lineup projected for a hundred, like another 10 points? Is, is that the line? Let's say this, proje- this projected for 113, which is only 30 points lower in projection. Probably still you'd rather play the top, the up, the first line. Where is the line? At what point would this lineup be equal in expected value to this lineup? Well, it's some projection number. I don't know. 20 points lower, maybe? I don't I don't know. Then obviously, once you factor into ownership, you're gonna have to take that into account. So those are the variables that you're working with in your head to to build specific individual lineups. So you could build 100, you could go right into lineup HQ, build, and go, I'm going to build 154 fours and put in all your exposures and put all of that type like that. You could do all, you could do all of it. I want 10% of this. I want 20% of that. I don't want more of this. I wanted this or whatever like that. You build 150 lineups and they're all bad. And then I could go in and build no four, four lineups and not even build four band stacks on FanDuel. Just build three, three, two, and three, three lineups. And build 150 better than yours. Better than your your best lineup doesn't even beat my 150th lineup. Even though you have all four four lineups. Well, you have bad four four lineups in comparison. Just because they're four four doesn't make it good. What do these specific lineups look like? Now, in reality, if you build 150, you probably get some of them. Yes, obviously. I'm being a little exaggerative here. But it's possible. I've seen people screw up optimizers all the time. I want to play this and this. I want to play more of that and that. I want to play this and this. And next thing you know, you look at half their lineups and go, how the hell did you get to these? I don't know. I had 20% of this guy. Like, but did you look at the lineups? No. Well, that's your problem. So I wanted to go over this because I, you know, I, I, in the past, in the past like week, I've gotten like three or four of this specific question, essentially, whether it be FanDuel or DraftKings. I, I chose FanDuel. And do you play four, 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 three? Do you play five, three, or four, or three one-offs? Which do you prefer? If you had a choice, it's like I don't. I just want to build plus EV lineups. If it happens to be one or the other, then it's fine. But I'm not specifically going in and saying, okay, today's a four-four day. Today's a four-three day. If you did. 
If you talk to, to Nerdy Tenor, Daniel in the chat, he doesn't even put any of this in. His his algorithm decides. He probably and he has a whole different all all amounts of constructions in it. Maybe only 30% of his lineups are four fours. Maybe even 22% are four threes and 10% are three threes. And like it depends on the specific lineups that there are. So asking questions like that show that you you have to, you have to understand the concepts. Use the concepts, build the lineups. Then you can play any sport. Injustice says in your extreme example, if you don't factor ownership and correlation, a 1-1-1 lineup will beat a majority of all the lineups projection with. Absolutely. Yes, that's the, that's the extreme on the projection end, right? If I just run the, you know, optimal projected lineup, right? Like this will have 143 total, whatever. Whatever this is. And the more correlation you add into it, that means you have to get less projected players. You can't play the top projected possible lineup. So as you sacrifice projection, you're gaining correlation. That's still, still with the levers. That's the concepts that that's the concept you have to understand with those levers. As you drop projection, you need to be gaining something else in return. How much do you gain? Well, that's up to you to decide. Having one correlated player ain't worth 10 points in projection. I can tell you that. Going down a, a, a one percentage point in ownership isn't worth 10 points of projection. It, it, that ain't worth it. Where the line is, I don't know. Uh, specific flights are different. That's for you to judge. And a lot of times it's very close. So if you go down, if you if you start from 143 and you're down and you're sacrificing 13 points in projection and you still have the same ownership, that, that why, then why are you playing that lineup that's projected lower? Let's say if you have a lineup that projects lower, that isn't correlated and is owned at the same as the lineup above it. Like, why would you play that lineup? As you sacrifice projection, you should be gaining correlation. You should be gaining leverage. Be gaining something. And the vice versa applies. If you're lo- if you're lowering your ownership, like you should expect that your projection should go down. If you're adding correlation, you should expect that your projection goes down. But how much should it be going down? And that example that we had before, which with uh, Fran Mill Reyes and, uh, and Christian Arroyo. But yes, I know. I'm 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 removing correlation because I don't think it's worth five points. For that one player. But you're going to be making decisions. Is it worth it for one point? Is it worth for one and a half points? Is it worth it for a half? I don't know. You're in the the closeness range. I don't know. Probably doesn't matter as much as you think. So as long as you're not giving up to his extreme examples, then you're probably fine. Especially in baseball, which is a high-variance sport. So this applies to everything. This is not just baseball. This is football, basketball, any any sport. As you drop in projection, you have to be gaining something else. So it's like, oh, do I have to be correlated? You don't have to be. If you're not going to be correlated, you should be gaining projection. You've given me a choice between a 4-4 lineup that projects for 120 
and a one and a all one off lineup that projects for one twenty. Why why wouldn't I be playing the correlated lineup instead? So I'm obviously gaining something with the correlation. I'm adding variance to my lineup, and I'm not sacrificing any projection to doing so in between the two lineups. So definitely give me the correlated one. But let's say the all one off lineup is projected for six points higher. Is the correlate the full correlation of a four four lineup worth? Versus the two lineups. Maybe it is. Maybe the six-point drop in projection is worth it. The levers. That's, as long as you think in those terms, you should do very well in DFS. That's all you have to do is think in those terms. And once you think in those terms, and then think in terms of probabilities that these aren't, you know, these, these are a range of outcomes. Then you start to see why most of these types of questions are stupid. Should you play this or that? Well, it's a probability of one or the other. I don't know what's going to happen tonight. <sighs> Doug Montgomery says, it's always good to hear you go over the same stuff with three levers and its use. Rep- repetition is the key to learning is what my trig professor taught. Yes. Well, that's the reason why I, that's the reason why I have the course. This is in the course. This is, this is not. <laughs> Go get it. How to think like a professional DFS player. The theory of daily fantasy sports. 15 hour audio DFS masterclass. As long as you know the concepts, you can apply them everywhere. And the more and more you do it, that the whole, this course is designed for you to re-listen to it. So if you want to, if you want to go over the same stuff again, that that's how I learn also. You listen to this, and then you play for a little bit, a couple of weeks. And then you listen to it again. And then you pick, oh, I'm not doing this enough, and I'm not doing that enough. Oh, now I get this. And then you you play for another couple of weeks. Then you listen to it again. That's how I learned how to play poker. I just read every book possible, played a bunch, and then reread all the books. And play again, and then read again, and play again, and then read again. Then you learn. And then the more you do that, then the stuff comes very quickly, especially in poker when you're at the table or something. Doesn't seem like that hard. It doesn't seem like why. Then you start seeing why doesn't other, why don't other people, why don't you get it? Jason Finn asks, you talk about not making quote cash lineups for GPP when someone is hand making three lineups in a 150 max. Their strategy is that person throwing darts on the wall. Now you're building GPP lineups. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't play a high, I wouldn't play a high owned lineup in a large field GPP. You're gonna bleed your money. You'll min cash a lot, or frequently enough that it'll feel like you're doing well. But you'll see at the end of the year that you've lost, you've lost the rake essentially. All the money in GPPs is at the top. So how do you build lineups at the top? You have to add variance to your lineups. Cash lineups are specifically built not to have variance in it. They're geared for the 55th percentile. That cash is in a double up. That is profitable in head-to-heads or break-even in head-to-heads. That's what median lineups are. So you shouldn't be building median lineups, but people do. Because they're the best plays. You're not looking for the best plays on average. 
You're looking for the best way to win first place. That's it. So if you hear me on Grinders Live when I'm talking about stacking against chalk pitchers and fading 80% owned dudes in, in baseball, what's the, what's the best, what, what's the most profitable way to get the first place? So much easier when the scores are lower. When a lot of, a lot of the higher owned players, the higher owned, over owned players fail. Now, they're owned for a reason. They're going to succeed more times than they fail. But the times that they succeed, everyone has them. So what is it? how much does it gain you by having them? By having an 80% owned player in your lineup. You may not even cash if they, do, if they hit three home runs. Right? If some 80% owned player of one off hits three home runs, does that make win your first place? No, that barely gets you to the cash line. There's so much more value in 80% of the field having a zero when they fail. And then you having some other guy that hits a home run and a double and has 24 points at 3% ownership. It doesn't happen as often, but when it does, you get paid way more than you should. That's the concept of GPPs. So even if you're just building three lineups into a GPP, I don't know how much risk mitigation you even have to do. If you're playing within your, playing three $15 lineups, assuming you have a bankroll, should take three good shots at first place. 150 matchers actually have to mitigate risk. It's hard to build 150 high variance lineups and then not go broke or not lose, you know, quarter of a million dollars over the course of a year. So you can't have like minus 95% days like all the time. So if you're building three lineups, I'd say go go for broke. That I mean that's that's what you should be doing. The reason why there's edge in GPPs is because people don't do that. They have three lineups and they, oh, I only have three lineups. I have to play. I have to play the best, uh, the highest owned stack because I only have three lineups. No, you should be thinking in terms of because I only have three lineups. I I should just, what what's what's the, I'm going to fade half the chalk in one lineup. I'm going to fade half the chalk in the other lineup. I'm going to stack against the other thing in the other lineup. And I'm just going to do this every day with three lineups, knowing that you're going to lose 90% of the time. But when you win, you could win your first place for 50 grand. Rather than, oh my God, I came in 874th place for 40 bucks. But that's how a lot that if you download the CSVs, a lot of people play that way. Especially if you remove, if you remove uh the 150 maxers, and if you just go by by people that play just one lineup, if you remove if typically, if you remove if you just isolate the players that just play one lineup, you'll you'll find two distinct types, two, two distinct archetype buckets for people that just play one lineup in a large field GPP. You'll find cash lineups, cash style lineups, or you'll find awful lineups. Lineups that I, I don't. It almost seems like they bang their head against the keyboard. Right, both give you an edge. Okay, both of them do. People think of the latter. They think of, oh, someone, you know, Buxton was out and they're, they're still in the guy's lineup. And you just isolate the the one, the, the single bullet guys. And there are a lot of them, right? You could find 20, 25% of the contest be single bullets. And they'll find lineups that I don't, I don't know how they put them together. They have two 3% owned pitchers for, and then 
a three-man stack of some other team, one batter against their pitcher. It's a 12-game slate, and you're like, I don't even know how, how these were constructed, dude. You, you you tally everything up, and it's like their lineups are projected for like 35 points lower than other lineups. And you go, I don't know how this person ever thinks they're going to win it. I don't know. It's negative EV. Hopefully you get lucky once, maybe, right? People think of that as that, that's the edge in, in DFS. It's like, no. The other half of the lineups are lineups where obviously that they they played all the best plays, right? Or they played some projected optimal or something like that. Or the, t- the highest on, or sometimes it'll be the highest on stack and the three highest on one-offs type of thing. But they know it's like, okay, they're playing a five-man stack on their draftings, but it's the highest on stack and they're playing the highest on. Like you look at their lineup, then no one in their lineup is less than like 18% off on a 12 game slate or something like that. I mean, like, and then you look and you go, how, how do you possibly expect to win? Like you need, you need everything to be perfect. And even then you may even be duplicated with someone or something like that. Those lineups cash more often, but that equity at the top, they essentially are handing it over to you. They're saying, you know, you know, the top, you know, the top, 1% spots, the top 0.01%, whatever spots. I'm just, I'm just going to seed my, my, I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm just going to give my chance of that happening to, to everyone else in the field by doing so. Because I want that, that juicy 1.5 X zone. And that's a lot of the other types of lineups. And both having all of those lineups in there, both, both of them. Give you an edge. As long as you're building lineups that are plusy, as long as you're building GPP lineups. If you're only playing three, yeah, you're going to have to wait a long time. It's like picture rolling a 5,000-sided die. But you're getting paid 50,000 to one instead of 5,000 to one. Right? That's 10 times the amount that you should be getting. Proper odds should be 5,000 to one. Right, you get paid to put in dollars. You should get five thousand bucks if you can guess the right number on a five thousand sided die. But no, I'm going to pay you fifty thousand, which means on average, you get it wrong four thousand nine hundred ninety nine times. You lose a dollar each time. If you're five thousand time, you get fifty thousand. So now you're up forty five thousand dollars. You know the problem is, is that having a bankroll and surviving. To get to that time. One out of 5,000, you know, 40, 99.95% of the time, you're, you lose a dollar. But so many people are like, well, I'm not, I'm not going to play that way. I'm going to play to never have a chance at 50,000 to one. I want to, I want to roll the 20 sided die. I want to, no, I want to roll, I want to roll the three sided die that pays me even money. Right, so they roll the three sided. I don't know how the, the I don't know how it has three sides only, but whatever it has three sides. But it pays me even money. It should pay you should pay you three to one. It pays you even money, but you get that right thirty three percent of the time. So you put in a dollar, you lose. You put in another dollar and you lose. They put in a dollar and you win. Now you're down a dollar. So I got paid a dollar on that other one. That happens more often. Oh, you get a dollar. I win a dollar so much more often. So that's what people are doing by building those cash lineups and GPPs. The people that are building the really weird lineups that I don't know how the hell they get to. 
That's like rolling the 5,000 side of die, only getting paid 3,000 to one. Right. And it's, it's, they're not going to win often at all. And then when they do, like they, they probably lost way. I mean, if we extended this out to a million times, they're still not profitable, even though they do win to some extent at the time. That's all DFS. We're talking, this is, this is what DFS is. It's a, game, it's a game of variables and probabilities and balancing them all out, either in your head conceptually or using tools or looking at projections and just organizing the numbers better than other people. That's it. We see, look, throughout the course of this entire, this hour, we didn't talk about any type of baseball stats. Well, the baseball stats are in these numbers. You have a projection model, okay? Well, I just press the button and print money. No, that doesn't. It doesn't. Having accurate player projections doesn't help you build actual lineups that are profitable. There's a starting point, but not the be all end all. So understanding all the variables and the three main ones are the three levers: projection, correlation, and leverage. All that is in the theory of daily fantasy sports. 15-hour audio DFS masterclass. Pick up at theoryofdfs.com. Hit that thumbs up button on your way out the door. Give me the thummy thumbs if you appreciate this content, which is free. Later today, Grinders Live. They'll be going over the 12-game MLB slate. We got we got two weather. I mean, we, we I think we have trouble possibly in Boston and in Chicago. And Kevin Roth will be on Crunch Time, presented by FanDuel. Leading up to lock, so you gotta check out. He'll he'll be posting tweets and stuff. And you have the the weather report, which is which is free on Roto Grinders. But if you want the the lineup HQ and you want the access to our Discord, you can ask me anything you want in the Blenders Game Theory channel. Subscribe to Roto Grinders Premium. Click on that link in the description. Get ten dollars off your first month. And uh, and yeah, I'll be I'll be back tomorrow. Uh, tomorrow possibly it may be a different time. Check check the thumbnail. Or maybe there's not even not even going to be a show, but it may it's most likely going to be a later time. There, the Roto Grinders is having having a meeting of some type. I don't know what the schedule is, so the schedule may be slightly different tomorrow. But obviously, we post this stuff on YouTube. You'll see the starting at time, but it may be an hour an, an hour later, or so, or just not there at all. If you don't see it at there, then there's no show or something. I don't know if that happens, but I'll but I'll see I'll see you next time no matter when next time is, answering your DFS strategy questions like I always do on the DFS pregame show on rotogrinders.com. 